Hello again, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. And boy, it has been a while. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is a fellow journalist. His name is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings. Greetings indeed. Uh, ben and I have been on a few trips and have been driving a couple of cars, and we're very excited to talk to you guys about them. Um, so many so that we just haven't had the chance to do a podcast in the past two weeks. Isn't that right, Ben? My life has been in total shambles for almost a month. Um, and if yeah, sh- in shambles, you mean in different cars. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you'd be giving the cars that you test drove a pretty you've a pretty bad rap from the get go. It's just it's just been a whirlwind of airplanes and cars and um, a lack of REM sleep. And uh, it's a helicopter, is what I understand. At one point, I I mean the hallucinations almost took me over, but you were there, Sammy, like a lifeline to draw me back to reality and walk me back from that cliff. And uh, once again, I'll be here during the whole whole podcast to make sure that you don't go off that cliff again, and at least at least stay relevant while you're going off the cliff. Um, ben, talk to me about some of the cars that you've been driving. You've been driving lately. Well, uh, as I strive for relevance, um, I will, I will, I will talk about those cars. Uh, gee, where to start? Uh, which did you have one in particular that you thought was um, noteworthy? Yeah, you know what? I think the most, the biggest impact of all the cars that you drove. Uh, there's two. There's. I'm going to start either in the Toyota Camry or the Hyundai Kona that you that you drove. Tell me more about this Hyundai Kona. I'm not familiar with it, Sammy. Well, I believe you went to Korea to drive and witness the debut of the Hyundai Kona, which is their new subcompact crossover that will take on the likes of the Toyota CHR, the Honda HRV, the the mighty Chevrolet Trax, and the Mazda CX-3, among others. Like, the, I don't know, Mitsubishi Outlander Sport? Ooh, no, 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 no. That's bigger and we should never talk about it. Or the RVR, or whatever it's called here in Canada. Yeah, it's not worthy of mentioning. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I went all the way to Seoul, South Korea. Uh, I say South Korea because when I say Korea, people always ask me, do you mean South Korea? And I, do I really have to correct people on where, I'm, where I've been? It's pretty obvious that, first of all, I'm not going to North Korea because I don't think I could get back into the United States if I had that on my passport. And two, it's unlikely that Korea has a North Korea has an industrial base large enough to produce any kind of motorized vehicle that they would then export to the rest of the world. Um, Nothing that you know of, at least. No, no, that curtain of darkness has descended between those two nations, and as a result, I'm unfamiliar with their automotive landscape. But uh, the Kona is kind of an interesting vehicle because for a long time, Kia had absolutely nothing in the subcompact space, and that's important for a couple of reasons. One is Hyundai didn't have anything either, and they're, you know, sister and brother corporations. But the other issue is everyone else is making crazy bank off of crossovers and SUVs, especially small ones. And uh, they were kind of on the outside looking in with that. That's a really good point. This Hyundai Kona, I mean, I think when I originally heard of it, I thought that the original Tucson was about Kona size, was a subcompact crossover. But it's kind of grown up a little bit. Seattle has a Santa Fe, uh, and they need something a little bit smaller than those. Um, or if so they I don't, was, if they don't need it, the market is, at least has made them think they need it. That's right, and people will probably buy this thing. Um, let's let's talk about it. I mean, is this like accent sized? No, it's. Uh, I mean, is it based it, on an accent? It's not. It's a brand new platform, actually. And oh. at the time I drove it, I was told that there would be no other vehicle 
based on that platform coming from Hyundai. And then, like, what, two days ago, Hyundai makes an announcement saying that they also have a small crossover on the way. And I cannot Sorry, you find... mean Kia. Kia has made this announcement. Uh, no, no, no. No, no, Hyundai, Hyundai is... No, yeah, sorry, I got it all messed up. Man, did I, okay. I been saying Kia this whole time? I no, have. no, you just said Hyundai. No, I said it Hyundai. earlier, too. I said it no earlier, way. too. Yeah, I was talking We're good. about We're Tucson okay. and everything. It. It's just, everything's unraveling, Sammy. Like, the no, reality no. Yeah, is... Yeah, I've got your back. You've been saying Hyundai, the Hyundai Kona. It's now like I'm Kia living has... inside the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album cover. That is a mess. It's a mess of an album cover. So yeah. let's start again. Hyundai Kona, not the Kia Kona. Hyundai didn't have anything underneath the Santa Fe Sport um, or the Tucson, I guess. Or what? Who makes the Tucson? Yeah, Hyundai makes the Tucson. You're on All right. This. You are clearly a professional automotive journalist. <laughs> so they made this new platform. Uh, they might, you know, do some domestic stuff with it for sure. Whether it's also been shared with Kia, who knows. Um, in any case... The it's it's pretty decent, uh, and I say pretty decent because it doesn't make the mistake that Mazda did, which was to create something small that's so small it's impractical for anyone who wants to sit in the back seat or load up the cargo area. It's uh, actually got about as much cargo as a Jeep Renegade, and the rear seat is totally livable for human beings, adult human beings. It's not really targeted at families, but um, it's it's more of a couples kind of car or a commuting vehicle. And you can get two engines. You get a two-liter and you get a 1.6-liter turbo. Both of them are four-cylinder. I drove the the turbo. Uh, it has that seven-speed dual-clutch automatic transmission that um, Kia and Hyundai both love. And that, it, that must be pretty powerful for this small car. Yeah, it's. I don't remember. I mean, it's 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 under 200 horsepower, I believe. But I mean, or, it should feel pretty good. Right around there. Yeah, it feels fine. I drove it for 10 minutes. I'm gonna be honest. I spent five days in Korea. And I drove for 10 minutes. That and seems uh, like it's got really good value there. Like you've got really good value. Hyundai got their values worth bringing you along. We went to their Namyang test center, which is about an hour and a half outside of Seoul. And I've been there before with Kia to drive the the Kia Soul. Um, no, sorry. I rode in the Kia Soul autonomous car that they had there. But I also drove the uh, Nero, Kia right? Nero. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about a year before it was in production. Um but we we actually did a lot more driving with the Nero. We went out on streets uh, surrounding Namyang and drove it on the facility premises as well. So there were there was multifaceted aspects of it. But this time it was the the handling course at Namyang, and I rode it as a passenger. I managed to sneak in and get some more time inside the car. So it's it's really almost impossible to form an opinion of how the vehicle will drive after ten minutes. Okay. But it didn't do anything terrible. And um, it felt reasonably punchy from a power perspective. And, you know, uh, Hyundai has a good reputation for making quality SUVs. It, they're kind of, they're not selling at the same rate, I think, as some of the other companies in the segment. But there's no real reason for that. Uh, it's not it's not due to any, you know, issues with the vehicles themselves. So the question I have really about it is, is there anything that will make this vehicle stand out against the competitors like the HRV or the Renegade that you mentioned? Well, uh, it looks good. That okay. that helps a lot. Okay. I think the styling is pretty cool. From the side, it kind of looks like a CX-3, but head-on, it's got this kind of like butch, kind of almost bulldoggy feel to it. It looks and, a little bit like a Cherokee from the head-on. With those uh, headlights? Know, those top, kind those of. Hood but high not, headlights? Yeah, kind of in their placement, but I think the personality is quite different from the Cherokee. It's not nearly as polarizing as the Cherokee was when it first came out. That's for sure. Okay. Um, 
And uh, I think you know value will also be part of the equation once we have a pricing that'll probably back that up. But here's the thing. I mean, not only is Hyundai late to the party, but it's going to be even later because this is not going on sale until Q1 of 2018. Wow. Okay. So maybe not as relevant as I thought it would be for well, this podcast. Well, we're going right. That was my fault. We went off the rails here. Well, I can't help you. I'm not your parachute. I'm, okay, then. I'm, um, I've got I'm something like to bring co- us back. I've more like a colander than a parachute. Oh, that's true. A sieve. Uh, I've got something to bring, it back, bring us back. It's definitely um, a luxury vehicle. European luxury. You, everyone loves European luxury. From Volvo. Everyone loves that, right? And it's a V90 cross country. Have you heard of this? I have, and I don't approve. So have you driven it? This is essentially a large wagon, which already don't sell very well in North America. And by not very well, you mean at all, right? Okay. Because <laughs> it's a very large wagon, a full-size wagon, I would say. And it's been raised by 2.3 inches and been given a new badge, the cross-country badge. Um, you can only get this with one powertrain. It's that same old drive E, um, and I wouldn't say same old. It's a pretty powerful engine. Drive E uh, four-cylinder engine that is turbocharged and supercharged to make 316 horsepower. And um, it's very expensive. It starts at about $55,000 US, and for that money, you can definitely already get yourself an XC90, which is the full crossover with uh, three rows of seating. Um, but f- I think for that price, you'd also have to go down and motor uh, for a T5. So I, I played around with that for a while. Um, very spacious, very luxurious, extremely safe vehicle, and it's really nice looking inside and out. But I don't know if this is what people really want. It's a very niche vehicle, and Volvo's doing really well at niche luxury. Um, and that's all I've got to say about it. You have well, any questions I, for me? I that? mean, are they doing really very well? Is this a profitable company? I don't know. Well, in terms of profit, no. But they're making products for people who who want them. I mean, I don't think there's I don't think there's any I there's nothing here that suggests that Volvo is trying to make cars for people who have who can get anything else in the market, right? They're, they're, they're trying to be unique and different, and I think they're doing that pretty well. Well, I think, I think they're doing, I think Geely's doing a good job in terms of repositioning them in the luxury and design segment for, you know, leadership and design rather than safety, mm-hmm. um, because everyone's safety stays. Volvo is no safer than any other company. I, I don't really see an advantage that they have with safety. Not, not yeah. to detract from their safety, but it's not like, I don't think that, any of the amount of any of the people out there who are thinking Volvo and safety in the same sentence, that's residual. That's right. residual marketing. And eventually that will be gone completely because I think you might draw more blank stares than anything else when you talk about Volvo because of how long they were kind of out of the market uh, in terms of being product, competitive. Product. Yeah, competitive yeah. products. That's an interesting thing. I think we've talked about this in, in the past in terms of stereotypes. That's like a, everyone thinks or everyone wants to think, you know, Volvo and um, safety. And just like how we hear the same thing all the time in terms of uh, Toyota and reliability, there's more things to talk about when it comes to some of these automakers, right? Yeah. Let's Well, let's talk about some more stereotypes. I mean, Toyota reliability is a really good one. But, you know, what other company is super reliable? How about Hyundai mm-hmm. or Kia? These are companies that have ridiculous warranties, and they offer these warranties because they know they can back them up with their products. You know, they're not offering a super long warranty because that car is going to be in the shop all the time. I mean, that would bankrupt the company. So it's Toyota. I've also heard not everyone is impressed with the cars over a long term. They kind of had a dark period in the mid 2000s where they went after volume mm-hmm. over quality. And that showed in a lot of their products. And they had to get away from that and get back to the idea that we're building good cars, not necessarily the, being the largest car company in the world. 
And uh, something that we should probably bring up um, very briefly is the JD Power initial quality um, survey that happened real quick. You I know promised. You, hate, you I, promised. I know you were talk talking about this. about this, but it's relevant because Kia actually won or like had the highest rankings for this, and that's a Korean automaker. And most people always think you know Korean vehicles are cheap and flimsy, unreliable, like you said. And I think that's something that's changed uh, drastically over the past few years, beating out Porsche, which is a pretty big deal. Um, but again, this is one rating. This is the JD Power, and if you wanted to read into uh, JD Power, you might be less enthused about what those ratings actually mean. But in one measurement here, we've got a Kia uh, coming in pretty highly across um, the whole industry, which is kind of it, cool. It's important to remember that JD Power initial quality isn't just limiting to issues that need to be repaired with a car. It, they talk to people who just bought a car within a certain amount of time who have reported problems to the dealership or something they're not happy with. And that can include features that they don't understand and that can't be repaired because there's nothing wrong with them. So if you have a complicated car or something that is not necessarily uh, maybe a new feature that the buyer might not be familiar with, that could be recorded as a problem for that particular vehicle and consequently for that automaker. Well, case in point, uh, you'll laugh at what won the best midsize pickup in terms of JD Power initial quality. Um, the Nissan Frontier. Remember how you were just mentioned to me that, you know, complicated vehicles might not rate as highly. Uh, well, the Frontier is not a very complicated vehicle. In fact, might be the simplest midsize truck you can get. Um, and it, went, it beats out the Colorado and Canyon and the Ridgeline in initial quality. So... Just to to point out what no no surprises there with the Ridgeline, given that you know turning the the volume on that stereo is it, is, is, is a quest yeah is a quest. Um, but what why don't we talk about some um some other vehicles? We want to talk about um Vol, uh, Volkswagen. Volkswagen has had a really tough go re recently. We everybody knows this. Um, they're trying to regain confidence in the in the market i think and they're doing that by delivering some really um some cars what, what what's the best way to describe what i'm trying to say the atlas came out and it and it hit a market segment that it's been that volkswagen has been absent from and now they're going to release a new t uh, tiguan which you had the chance to drive and took that chance from what i understand um <laughs> i didn't you swat it away like yeah. a lazy fly <laughs> how did the how's the tiguan these days so Here's my take on what you're talking about. I think Volkswagen didn't take SUVs seriously for a really long time. Um, they had the Touareg, which was fine, mm -hmm. but very but expensive, right? Very expensive, and I don't. There was, I mean, who was that customer? That's that's the question. And they had the Tiguan, which is smaller, but also expensive. If you look at it from a value perspective, because the Tiguan, it was a single, uh, a single drivetrain. They had the mm -hmm. gas drivetrain. It didn't have a lot of features. And it didn't change very much over time. It got some styling updates, but it was pretty much the same vehicle for most of its production. It came out in, what, 2009? Mm -hmm. And it's just, that, that was right before SUVs exploded. And not only that, I remember the Tiguan, two things. It uses the two-liter turbocharged engine, which Volkswagen also uses in, like, other vehicles and is quite successful with. But whatever they had in the Tiguan was not the powerful, like, GTI engine. 
It also did not have a very nice interior in any way I tr- I've tested it. No, it was very plain. And I think people kind of, they looked at the Tiguan, they looked at the price, and they realized that for that money, they could get a much nicer SUV from Ford, or Hyundai, Honda, yeah. Toyota, Honda. There are a lot of choices out there. And that really, it really, you know, was an uphill battle for Volkswagen. But I don't think they cared. I think that they were in the SUV business because they had to be. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really... I don't know as if they had the foresight to see how much of a profit center SUVs would become within a few short years. So flash forward to now, and you've got the Atlas, like you mentioned, which <laughs> takes the place of the... They say they're not going to replace the Touareg, mm-hmm. but the Touareg's a, you know, a two-row SUV. Atlas is a three-row. It's bigger. It's, it's roomier. It's uh, better priced. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of clear where the cards have fallen for that particular segment for Volkswagen. But the Tiguan is, is you know, I'm still not sure how serious they are. Okay. Be- because the new one, it's three rows now, which it wasn't before. It's like 11 inches longer as a result. Wow. Okay. Than the previous model, it's also really heavy. You can get a 4,000 pound Tiguan now, which is about 400 pounds heavier than the heaviest one in the past. Wow. And the reason is you can for that I believe is because it, obviously it's larger. Uh, there's 60% more cargo space, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also got you know a panoramic glass sunroof now, which adds weight. Mm-hmm. You can get a ton of luxury gear in it. Uh, it's a much nicer interior than it used to be. You can get the cool digital cockpit in the Volkswagen. Nice. Uh, the Volkswagen offers sorry. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's very cool. I like it. Okay, that um, that despite all that, you know, you're saying they don't take this. You're, they might not be taking this segment seriously, but I'm hearing a lot of things that are making this car stand out in the segment. Well, I'm I'm talking about the good things first. Okay. Because with the bad things. The bad thing is, it still comes with a two-liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine, mm-hmm. and it has less power than it did before. Whoa! Are you kidding me? No, it, now it's uh, it's under 200. It used to be, what, 201 or 200 on the dot, and now it's 184 horsepower. And uh, torque has gone up by about the same amount. So instead of having 15 less, it's got 15 more. I think it's okay. 226 now. Or, or Sorry, uh, it was 207 before, so it's like 220-something, 230-something, right around there. So now it's um, like this punchier thing off the line, but not No, really. it's actually it's actually neither of those things. It's, <laughs> it's this is the, this is an engine that's familiar to anyone who's driven a Volkswagen. It's 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 the new four-cylinder from them. It's a good engine, but the problem is I'm, we were in Denver to drive it, which is you know oh, way up in the air. Yes. So that's not doing the car it's any not favors way up either. In the air. It's not like floating in the air. Well, it's five thousand feet in the air. There, there's just mountains underneath it, right? Well, you tell me. I've never been underneath Denver. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll, we'll look up into how Denver gets so high. Oh, wait. So, there's, there's different kinds of laws there. Maybe don't type that in. But um, there's a uh, – it's just you floor it going up a hill and there's nothing. There's just nothing. I mean it's fine around town and whatnot. But uh, in the 4,000-pound top trim SEL premium version of the car – or sorry, the SUV, it just doesn't feel – like, you know, a 240-horsepower EcoBoost uh, Escape, for example. Okay. And that's something that's not great for Volkswagen because Volkswagen's a challenger brand. They're, they're not, you know, they don't have a huge loyal following in the SUV segment like they do with their hatchbacks and, uh, to a lesser extent, the Passat. Or, sorry, not the Passat because no one buys that. The, the, the Jetta. 
Well, it's true. No one does. I mean, yeah. it's a good vehicle. I like it, but no one buys it. It's it's really too bad, especially now that there's no more diesel. And I think that the, the diesel thing kind of caught Volkswagen flat-footed when it came to the Tiguan, because I'm 100% sure there would have been a TDI version of the Tiguan, and it would have been awesome. And now there's not. There's just one engine. And you look at Ford, and you can buy, like, what, three engines for the Escape? You can buy two engines for the the anything from Kia, for anything from Hyundai. I know Honda and Toyota have stuck to their one-engine thing, but they have a huge legion of loyal buyers. So they can do that kind of thing. Um, even Mazda for the CX-5 has two engine options. So it's just I don't, I don't see the commitment from Volkswagen here. If you're going to offer a single engine, if you're going to offer a single turbocharged engine, make it a kick-ass engine. And there's no reason why they couldn't. Like you said, this is the same engine you can get in a GTI, I think. It's very similar. Same family. And in the GTI, it's like up to 220, 230 horsepower. That would be nice. Another 50 horses in the Tiguan? Why not? I mean, especially if you consider... I realize I'm ranting now. But if you, if you have seven passengers in this vehicle, in theory, you're adding another 600 pounds to the weight. Right. So, I mean, maybe even more. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, obviously more. I mean, they're not. It's not like you have six, seven, ninety-eight pound passengers. <laughs> so yeah, probably another nine hundred pounds is more realistic. Okay, that's that's a lot of, uh, of of criticism here. But I was saying that there's a lot here that can catch the eyes of buyers. There's uh, three rows, which is very rare in the segment. I think only the Rogue, and if you want to consider the Journey um, a compact crossover, it can be considered. Uh, it, we could be we can we can be lenient, right? And we can suggest somebody might I, be looking at that. Not by I don't but, I don't think anyone wants a three row compact crossover. I you then why the would they the, why would they offer it? The, what, because you know, the rogue so, offers it, and yeah. uh, and the rogue is the best selling car in the segment. We've we we talked about different reasons why that might be the case, but there's the, there's the three rows in the Tig one. There's that gorgeous digital dash that will definitely catch the eyes of some buyers, and there's also the the fact that. I know you said they don't have a very strong SUV like buyer base, but they would have they have a very good hatchback like enthusiast community. And those guys are eventually going to have to grow up or they might have a family and they might be wanting to stay within the the Volkswagen brand and um could and they'll buy golf and a... they'll buy golf sport wagons. <laughs> but what if they need three rows? Okay. If they need three rows, they'll buy an Atlas. Oh, right. But they'll just I think skip the take one altogether. I I would. Okay. I think that the reason the Rogue sells so well, sorry, the reason the Rogue went with three rows is because at the time they were the only ones, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not the only ones anymore. So this is kind of a follow-up thing for Volkswagen. The third row in either of those vehicles is really for children, as it is in most modestly sized um, SUVs. Right. But I think that the three-row crowd is looking at mid-sized vehicles. I think that's who they're at. That's that's who the buyer is. I don't. I don't really know. The other weird thing, there's a couple of weird things about the the third row in the Tiguan too. You can, it's standard equipment on all front wheel drive Tiguans. Mm -hmm. But if you order all wheel drive, suddenly the third row is an option. Okay. Which is usually the other way around. It usually, usually is the other way. Usually, the more you money you spend on a car, the more equipment it comes with. Exactly. And then once you get the third, the third row, the three row version of the. Um, Tiguan in all-wheel drive trim has a lot less interior cargo space mm -hmm. because of the room that's taken up by the all-wheel drive apparatus in the back. And there's also kind of a weird cargo cover at the very back that covers the uh, spare tire. And it covers the uh, – because, you know, there's a, a cargo cover itself for the top of the cargo area that you have to take out when you're popping up the third row seat. 
and then you put that under the floor and cover that cargo cover with another cargo cover, and that cargo cover is kind of made of what I think <laughs> is cardboard, and I just don't know how long that's going to last. I, I realize that sounds like I'm really down on the Tiguan. Especially the cargo covers. <laughs> you spent a lot of time talking about cargo covers, man. It's a, I'm, it's I'm a worried decent... about changing your title to fellow cargo cover uh, journalist. Ben. Well, you know what? I... It's my time at Cargo Cover Weekly has really opened my eyes to how important this subset of automotive features is. But there's, you know, I don't dislike the Tiguan. It's much better than it was before. But there's one final thing that I haven't mentioned yet that I think really puts it all in perspective, and that's that it's going to cost you nearly forty grand to Whoa. get the yeah to get the top tier version of the Tiguan that comes with that beautiful digital dash. Is that forty grand in drive? Uh, U.S. Yes. That's brutal, considering it's a, like 37, a, a fully loaded CRV or CX-5, Mazda CX-5, uh, will come in at 35, fully loaded, fully loaded, completely every got, it's got everything, and that so, includes like adaptive cruise control and he, a head-up display in the CX-5. That's that's way too much. My 40 grand for a compact crossover, despite how many rows of seating it has, that's way too much. Yeah, it's something like 37,900 or 38, and then you can add options to it. So that kind of thing is. A little dicey. But um, the other thing that kind of was disappointing to me was if you want that digital display on the dashboard, the digital cockpit, which you definitely do, you have to buy the SCL premium trim. You can't get it as an option package on any other version of the of the Tiguan. So you're, you're going to be dropping a lot of cash. And, you know, even at that price, you could be looking at a midsize uh, at yeah. that point. Yeah. And then you, st- you still get three rows and you get a lot more uh, space to go with it. I will say this, though. Mm-hmm. The Tiguan's cargo, if you get the front-wheel drive version... <laughs> Are you talking like more about the cargo cover? 70 cubic feet. That's not, that's, okay. that's okay. That's that's more than okay. That's class. That's approaching class leading. It is that's approaching class leading. But it right up there with leading. the Forester, right up there with the CRV. Right. The Forester, um, the base Forester has like nearly 75 cubic feet of, yeah. uh, of storage. But apparently once you get that, um, that power liftgate and the... Um, what's the other thing? The panoramic sunroof, I think. You tell me. It uh, it really kills the the cargo space. Um, that's uh, that's pretty good. The CRV also comes with seventy five cubic feet. So, I think this Tiguan the Tiguan's trying to be competitive. It's getting there. Um, while you were driving um, family crossovers, I was driving something bright yellow uh, from Subaru. Would you like to hear about it? I would like to hear about it. It was the Subaru BRZ, a car that I'm not very familiar with. Um, it is wait a, a minute, wait 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 a minute. BRZ, BRZ, maybe. That's that's better. Um, Don't you own a BRZ? <laughs> the BRZ I drove was a special edition um, BRZ uh, Subaru Canada version of the car. It's called uh, the Inazuma. It's also offered in the United States as something called the Series Yellow. Uh, limited limited run version of the vehicle. It comes with uh, a bright yellow exclusive paint. Uh, it has an interior color as well, yellow yellow in there, and uh, it has the performance package, which includes bigger brakes and different wheels. And Can I get the car and not have it be yellow? Does it have to be yellow? Um, you can get you can get a regular BRZ in the United States with the performance package, and you'll pretty much have the same thing. It'll just be different color. Okay. But I don't. I mean, what's the what's the why am I buying this yellow car? Is basically uh, what I'm asking. I, I'm not 100% sure. It's exclusivity. Uh, people people want something that stands out, and they can say that they have one of only a few. There's a limited run of these vehicles. 
Can um, you buy a can you buy a yellow BRZ without this package? No, you cannot. And you can't you not at all. That's the big deal. And you know what? I thought that was a novelty, but honestly, driving it around town, this thing gets stares. It is a it is a eye-catching yellow. It is just and you're talking about a car that's not much more, you know, it's it's super affordable. It's still about 30 grand. Um Wow, your definition of super affordable and my definition of super affordable are different definitions. For a new rear-wheel drive sports car, it's affordable. Um, it's and and people are looking at it like it's a Ferrari or a Corvette. So it, wow, it whoa, really whoa, is... whoa, slow down, Mister uh, Mister uh, FRS owner. Okay, honestly, even my, my car, I have an FRS blue, a, a very, I would say it's a very eye, attractive, eye-catching blue, but I it does not get the stares that this thing gets. Now, I have one criticism with the vehicle. It is the infotainment system is complete trash. <laughs> they would, and, I, and I'm honestly, I don't know how else to say it. It is junk. It even has a GPS system that has no idea where I am all the time. It has put me in the middle of Lake Ontario on several occasions when driving. <laughs> driving. Isn't that, isn't that the, the steel plate in your head, though? Isn't that constantly <laughs> messing up with satellite transmissions? I mean, it could be, but... It's a blessing and a curse, really, because it makes you harder to control from space, but it also gets you lost. I know. Well, it, it, only for Subarus, I'm telling you. It only affects the Subaru satellite. I think they have their own really ghetto satellite, a GPS Whoa. satellite dish that is barely working. Uh, or maybe it's on low power mode, because I it, honestly, it got me, it was really poor. It was really bad. Um and it's uh, it's another thing that made me wonder. I have a, I have a base FRS from 2013. It has no touchscreen audio system. It has no GPS system, and it has a really basic looking stereo system that looks like it's from the 90s. And honestly, it works. It really works. It works better than this touchscreen system. And uh, I'm not I'm trying not to sound biased because I do like infotainment systems, good ones, especially with like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Ugh. But um, this one was complete junk, and I, it it almost it kind of ruined the car for me. That's, well, there that's you what have I've it. Gotta, that's what I've got to add about this about what I drove that week. But you were driving another cool car. Where did you go to drive a new Toyota? I went to um, Oregon. Ooh, that sounds exciting. So uh, I'd never been <laughs> to this part of the of the state before. It's like an hour outside of Portland. Um, mm. It's apparently in wine country because what isn't in wine country these days? It seems. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, true. And, uh, yeah, I drove the, the Toyota Camry, which is uh, a brand new car. You know, we were talking earlier about um, about the Sonata, because I also drove the new Sedona, Sonata this week, and I can't talk about it because no one can talk about it until the middle of July. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we can uh, talk about it, we just can't say, like, real things. I can't, I can't say how I felt about exactly. it, but we were talking about how... We can talk about the styling and how this the styling has changed in the Sonata. And you were thinking that perhaps the styling has had something to do with why their their sales have dropped off for that car. But, I, you know, this was kind of something that was on my mind when I was driving the Camry, which is a midsize sedan like the Sonata. And it's in this. So they're in the same segment. But Toyota is kind of facing a, an existential crisis right now that is kind of it's going to manifest over the next few years and that's because everyone's buying SUVs like we talked about earlier and fewer and fewer people are buying sedans mm-hmm. and the Camry is Toyota. I mean, can you think of a more Toyota vehicle than the Camry? Almost the Corolla would be the sec- my second my second choice. But yeah, it's that's those true. two vehicles and those are that's both true. cars. Cor- you made a really good point. 
I mean, Corolla globally is important to them. And then in North America, Camry is kind of their Corolla because Americans are not so keen on compact sedans, but they loved, 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 loved the midsize stuff until very recently. And, um, well, you know, Toyota doesn't have a ton on the SUV front that springs to mind immediately when you think SUVs, uh, you know, they have the, the uh, RAV4, which has done well for them over time. And it's, they have a, the very... Highlander, which has also done pretty decently for them. Yeah, but I mean, is the Highlander really a benchmark? Not really. The RAV4, yeah. But the Highlander, it's it's a good SUV in ben, the field of good we SUVs. we have to talk. We have to talk about this RAV4 um, love that you have. I have no idea where it's coming from, man. I don't know what you see in this RAV4 that that, that puts it so highly in your rankings. Of, maybe the RAV4 doesn't process. interrupt me while I'm talking. That's maybe true. That's, maybe that's a big part of it. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Why don't you Why don't you go continue with your you sure? Your Are you sure? For, uh, love Are you fast. sure? I'll just put my fingers in my ears and wait for you to finish. Hmm. Okay. okay. Anyway, <laughs> as I was saying, um, there's also the Sequoia, which I mean, I you know I I when's the last time you saw a Sequoia? Never. It's I know it's very very profitable for Toyota, which is why they keep selling it. Uh, but uh, they they don't do huge volume. And then there's the Land Cruiser, which is essentially the uh, abominable snowman of the SUV world That's because right. it's 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 legendary and people claim to have seen one once. But um, and it was yeah, eye catching. Here, people like uh, people have memories of the day they saw a Land Cruiser. <laughs> like, oh, up here, great. yeah, it's it's it, it sears into the brain. Up here in Canada, they sell about a hundred a year, uh, mostly because it's very expensive. It's like eighty grand, mm-hmm. and it's a good vehicle. It's a great vehicle but it's 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 a niche it's it's ultra niche so uh toyota tried to fix this with what the c8 this is a long-winded talk point i'm making about the camry i forgot what we were talking about (laughs) yeah the chr you want to talk about so all this to say all this to say the camry is super important see this is where i haven't really slept in like 30 days yeah and i I am scatterbrained to the max i apologize to anyone who's listening to this podcast for for the first time or for the first time in two weeks (laughs) (laughs) um it's it's kind of we're just you know we need to get this out of our system hopefully i'll sleep this weekend and things will be better and uh the voices will stop but the camry is a big deal and it's they sell a ton of them and they're going to sell less there's just no way around that because people are not buying sedans like they used to and you know we were talking about how hyundai was late to the subcompact uh, suv game toyota was pretty late too and toyota only got there by repurposing a vehicle from a brand they decided was no longer viable (laughs) and uh calling it calling it a a toyota the chr was originally supposed to be a scion no one cared about scion and they uh, killed it off yeah they killed it off and now the chr is a front-wheel drive only crossover which is going to take it off the shopping list of a lot of people because the marketing has done such a good job of brainwashing us all into thinking all-wheel drive is the only way to survive winter and it's it's kind of they're in a tough situation. Uh, the CHR also is maybe a little overstyled. I don't dislike it, but there are people who do. Sammy, what do you think? I I've actually had the I've actually driven the CHR recently, and uh, I thought I was going to hate it. I thought it was going to be another like Nissan Juke, a really niche vehicle that is maybe isol- like could isolate the the driver. This thing's great. I love it. It looks cool. Interior is just as as nice, and it drove really really well. And that must be so, because but- of the new platform. But I think getting people into that seat is going to be tough. For it Toyota. might be. It might be. But people like that Toyota brand. Um, the name means something to you, uh, to people. And uh, we talked about stereotypes earlier on. Um, people buy Toyotas because they're reliable, um, and they kind of know what they're getting with them, right? And well, yeah. The CHR, and, I think... and in this case, they're getting a Scion. <laughs> 
Okay. So beyond so, the CHR, where does the Camry fit in? The Camry's really good. The Camry is excellent. Um, were you, just, were you always... just looking for filler just to come up with that sentence? The Camry is good? Wow. You're so judgmental <laughs> tonight. Like, I feel like I can't say anything with it without exposing myself to some type of biting criticism. And I'm still going to be thinking about it at like 10 o'clock at night lying in bed being like, what did, what did Sammy mean when he said filler? Um... I'm, I'm so it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. It, it's, <laughs> it's always been good. Sad. It's been it's been really good for a super long time. It's not like the previous car sucked. It was good too. I really liked it, and so did hundreds of thousands of people buying it. Um, biggest takeaways on the new car? I think they they finally made the sport editions. I don't know why they're making it, but there's an XSE and an SE, and they both have a, a tighter suspension tuning. It's it's a, a stiffer springs, um, different. Uh, I think they have different sway bars as well. And uh, much more aggressive styling. The styling, I can take it or leave it. Uh, it's got a huge honeycomb grill up front, and it's got four exhaust tips at the back, of which two only two are used. Mm-hmm. And um, it's got all sorts of aero cutouts. But the, the 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 important thing for me was the old SC, the old Camry Sport Edition. It was just bumpy for no reason. It didn't yeah, really it feel like it was, it was like yeah. It felt like it was not finished. Yeah, it was an uncomfortable car to drive, and there was no real performance benefit. Like, yeah, I guess it was a little better, but not enough to overcome the uncomfortable aspects of driving it. But the, excuse me, the new car, uh, the body roll is much better controlled, and there's no penalty. Like, you're driving around normally, and you're not like, wow, this sucks. Like, you're not feeling the bumps every single time you hit something. So well done, Toyota, for for building the sporty Camry that maybe 10% of people will buy, um, but it looks sharp in the showroom. The, the the car that I liked the most was the hybrid, to be honest. Um, we gotta talk about we gotta talk about all of this. This car has okay, talk to me about this hybrid. This hybrid has insane mile per gallon numbers. Yeah, so Toyota redesigned all of its engines for the Camry. Uh, they they all have the same displacement, two and a half liter four, three and a half liter six, and same as in the uh, the hybrid, it's two and a half liter plus the electric motor, but they're all different inside. They're inject direct injection engines, um, they're more efficient across the board, and there's more power, not a lot. Uh, I think it's 301 horses for the V6 and a smidgen more power for the four cylinder. You can the, get a 300 um, horsepower Camry now? Yeah. That's insane! I love it! Welcome... Welcome to 2017, Sammy, where even the Camry <laughs> is cooler than the 80s or 90s Ford Mustang. But um, the the uh, the hybrid, I can't remember how much horsepower it is. I want to say 208. Yeah, something but, just over 200. But, wow, what a smooth car. What a comfortable car to drive. Uh, it goes in and out of EV mode seamlessly. I know that's a cliche, but um, it's true. You, you, you never really know when you're on electric power and, or when you're on... Um, the engine, it's quiet, it handles nicely, but the 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 more important thing is um, that that fuel mileage, 56 miles per gallon, I believe, is the combined figure for the entry level version of the car. That's insane. That's a ton. Like that's Prius numbers, isn't it? Yeah, it's either 56 or 52. Like it's right around there. It's really high. Uh, maybe maybe 52 is more accurate. I, you know, like I said, I haven't slept recently. But there's something weird about the hybrid that I think most people won't ever find out. Oh, um, yes, me and you had a conversation about this. So the weird thing is, 
there are two different batteries you can get for the car. Right. And w- one of them is a lithium-ion battery. Which is new which and is fancy and advanced. Sup- yeah, super modern and light. Light, yeah. And uh, it's in the, the SE. I think it's the SE. might be the LE. I don't remember. Whatever the base model hybrid is. Oh, nice. That's so what you it get is. The, you get the usual high-tech high motor in the regular hybrid. That sounds nice. The sounds regular awesome. hybrid. This is what's known as the loss leader. It's the car that they can advertise as having that crazy fuel mileage because if the instant you step up to one of the two other trim levels, which is, I think, XLE or uh, just LE, I'm not sure. Again, I'm sorry. But once you do that, you're back in nickel metal hydride land. Which dun, is dun, dun. ancient, right? This is a, the, original, the original Prius had this. Old it's not Camry su- I mean, Toyota's claiming it's a it's a newer version of that battery chemistry hmm. and that it's more responsive, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing's for sure, it's heavier and it knocks six miles per gallon off the combined rating. That's so bizarre. So the more the more expensive version of the car and the more well equipped version of the car will get less mileage than the than the base one. And, you know, that's not unexpected, given that more equipment means more weight, means but less not, mileage. It but it should be that much, much of a difference. It, why? I don't understand why they didn't put the lithium-ion battery inside the heavier cars. The only thing I can think of is perhaps it drains too quickly with that much weight. They might, Maybe um, they just have a ton of nickel metal hydride batteries. And it's like, possible. we got to get rid of these guys. There's also the, the, the possibility, too, that um, they don't think anyone's going to buy the entry-level car. Mm. And I don't know how expensive it is to build a lot of Lion batteries versus nickel-metal hydride. So if they have a low-volume lithium battery ver- that's expensive versus a you know everyone's going to buy the loaded hybrid, um, that might be a, a cost thing for them. Okay, and while we're talking about insider uh, automotive industry stuff here, like the types of battery inside the new Camry... It also gets a new infotainment system, right? Because they still won't give you Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, which I'm sure you're very elated to hear. But it gets a Linux-based infotainment system, like uh, automotive-grade Linux, I think it's called. So it's a it's a less sucky version of Entune. Entune <laughs> um, is not great. No. It's It doesn't look good. The logic's weird. It's just strange because Toyota's so good at everything else, and I don't understand why they're, they're so stubborn about Entune. I mean, look at what Chrysler and Ford have accomplished with with their infotainment systems. You can't tell me Toyota can't do that too. Like, anyway, uh, the new Dude, version is Chevrolet better. Has great, a really good infotainment system. Yeah, the the, the, the it's better. Mm-hmm. It's much better. It still has some weird buttons that are a little, you know, strange. It has a little bit of weird logic, but it's it looks better too. Um, there are some parts of the car that don't look better though. We were driving pre-production cars, so I can't say for sure if this. We weren't given information about what will change in production, but given the production starts next month, I'm fairly certain that the super weird buttons on the center console for the heated seats mm-hmm. are still going to be there. It's like three LED lights. Mm-hmm. It's like a 1990s Subaru <laughs> I saw system. This. I saw this. It's so bizarre. Oh, man. And the door speaker covers, you can get a bright red interior inside the SC or the XSE. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could also get a two-tone roof, which is like a black roof, like a white base. It's 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 interesting. The interior, though, if you get that red interior, mm-hmm. there's these massive door speaker grills on the front doors. They look like they're from an 80s boombox, <laughs> like a really a really cheap boombox, and the red draws it out, man. It's just, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, in, a, in a black interior or a tan interior, you don't notice it as much, but when it's red, you can't look away. I need to see this. Let me just, uh, just let me take a look at this. Um, 
I'm really stoked about the type of powertrain that they've got in here, though. It's it's very first of all, in my opinion, I've always found it rare that Toyota updates a powertrain, uh, and they have a brand new engine here. Uh, they've given it a really funny name, I think, but um, Dynamic Force, I believe, is the name of this engine. Wasn't that a Seagal movie? <laughs> it sounds like one. It definitely sounds like a Steven Seagal or, or a Jean Claude Van Damme, Damme. Jean-Claude or like Van a movie. Damme movie. A movie where they were both in it together, and one was dynamic and the other was Force. Oh, yeah. It was like it was like John Dynamic and Detective Steve Force That's are together one. at last, but not by choice. Yeah, under the hood of a Toyota Camry. Yeah, that's right. And they solve some type of human human trafficking case together. As usual. And one of them has a German Shepherd. <laughs> um, man, that is a bright red interior. So you can get the Camry with a with an eye searing red interior. No one's buying it. I'd say, you know, like maybe 10%, right? That's a lot of people. There's a lot of Camrys that are being sold, unusually. Um, this goes back to your original comment about how sedan sales are, are waning and crossover sales are um, are, are booming. Uh, Ten years, we'll all be driving crossovers. Everyone, children will be taking crossover buses to school. You'll be getting on a crossover airplane that can also be a, a boat, a jet boat. Um, you know, Elon Musk will be flying us to Mars in crossover rockets that turn into little Mars rovers when you get to Mars. Crossover rovers. Crossover rovers. And Audi crossover. will create a crossover beehive that will, yes. that will smart crossover develop artificial intelligence that will put us all in our place. Um, before, um, before we say goodbye to people, I have got one more car I want to talk about, which is what I'm driving mm. this week. I'm very excited to say. It is a Mazda 3 hatchback with a manual transmission and all of the features. Isn't that nuts? Because I think that's kind of crazy. It has, How many features? It has adaptive cruise control. It has, which is crazy for a manual transmission car, at least in, the, in this segment. Um, it has lane keep. It has uh, blind spot monitoring. It has a head-up display, although it's that weird, you know, flimsy plastic on the top of the dash. Terrible. But it is very interesting to see Mazda deliver a manual transmission with this much equipment. Usually people put a manual transmission in a in a low trim level vehicle with a, either a smaller engine, something really basic, uh, for people who are wanting to save money. But to also pair the manual transmission to a fully featured vehicle is kind of rare and uh, really appreciated for you know someone who enjoys driving or at least enjoys a manual transmission vehicle. No, it's definitely rare, and I agree with you. I also drove a Jeep for one evening. Um, it was a Jeep Cherokee Trailhawk, which was bright red and had stripes and bright red. Um, Grand Cherokee, right? Yes, Grand Cherokee tra- Trailhawk. I keep mixing these up. Grand Cherokee Trailhawk. It had trail track. Trail track. <laughs> track trail. Trailhawk. Uh, it had the heavy v- V8, which uh, really impressed all of the uh, dudes that I drove past. And uh, it made lots of cool noises, and it looked really sharp. But um, let me tell you, man, the Jeep community, I'm, I'm not about that life. There's, everyone wants to have a fight with you or throw energy cans at you. Uh, everyone What's an energy can, Energy Sammy? drink can? Energy, a can of energy drink. Are energy cans what the Transformers were trying to find in the TV show? Um, was it? No, that was a spark, wasn't it? Energon cubes. Energon cubes, you nailed it. Um, it's almost like an energon cube, but for people. Energy can, energy drink can. Um, uh, every time, you know, you go and you'd be nice to somebody, they would like flip you off, call you like, 
Yeah, you're holding a door open. So Don't it's they... no yellow. Yeah. It's no yellow BRZ is what you're saying. Yeah, man, people are people are all about the yellow BRZ. But if you want respect, you got to be in a yellow BRZ. If you want, if you are all about aggression, if you like seeing the aggression in the world, just get a Jeep. Um, these guys are have too much bro aggression. That's what I've that's what I've ter- dubbed the term. Um, but really, it was a really cool car. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Hemi V8, which puts me at odds with a lot of people. Um, I much preferred both the Pentastar V6 and the Eco Diesel, and I love the SRT motor, but I think the 5.7 Hemi V8 is just somewhere lost in no man's land. Wow. Well, no one agrees with you on that. I know. I'm sorry. Um, anything else you want to add? Is there anything? No, I'm spent. On? I'm, I'm totally, I'm, I apologize again to listeners for my digressions that is a-okay why don't you give me a quick teaser of what you'll be driving next week if any if there's anything interesting then uh next week i will be tag teaming the uh mazda mx5 miata rf mm-hmm. which is the um the fixed the fixed roof not fixed roof uh retractable hard top convertible thingy that they built the retractable t- hard top you can stop saying that you said that already convertible and uh also be driving the rolls royce dawn oh yeah which is a another much larger much more expensive convertible that's really cool i like that Uh, i'd love to hear more about that next week i'm driving two vehicles as well i'm driving the genesis g80 sport um and i'll be also comparing that to the bmw 540 Uh, and i'm looking forward to that comparison all right you're looking forward to it are you have you already fallen asleep I'm sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's tell all the listeners, uh, thank you for listening. So I will start. Thank you for listening. And if you want to uh, listen to more of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, you can find us on SoundCloud, Facebook. Um, You can find us on iTunes and Google Play Music. If you just search for Unnamed Automotive Podcast, you will definitely find us on any of those platforms. What else, what else do I usually plug here? Because this is where I always struggle. You ben. talk about the Twitter. Oh, yes. And if you want to get in touch with either Ben or I, you can reach us on Twitter. I always prefer Twitter. It is social media, and we can be social with one another. Um, you can find me at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, probably like I've been doing at Ben through this whole podcast. Um, and you can find Ben at Hunting Benjamin, because he's got his name backwards there. It's really funny. Because some... some Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... We're looking forward to talking to you next week. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to it very much because it's a long weekend and we've got some cool cars. I promise to be conscious. I promise Ben will be ready to stay on a steady stream of consciousness. Um, But in the meantime, Ben, get some rest and some cool cars and we will talk later. Bye, everybody. Bye.